there's also just, I think because I'm getting older, I just go like, maybe we just need to tear this all down and start over. I say that about my society, <laughs> my own career. I only say that about CSS. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Are you struggling to deploy cloud native applications to a hybrid cloud? Do you want to become familiar with Kubernetes and Istio? IBM Cloud has a set of free, hands-on training, ebooks, and an always-on free tier of services to help you learn. Visit ibm.biz slash stackoverflow to learn more. That's ibm.biz slash stackoverflow. Good morning, everybody. Good morning. Welcome to the Stack Overflow podcast. Hey, Paul's here. Hooray. <laughs> I'm Ben Popper, so co-host of this podcast, Paul and Sarah as my co-hosts. We're here today to chat a little bit about software, a little bit about code, things that came up. Paul, I wanted to talk to you about an article I saw. And Sarah, I know you have thoughts on this. The headline of the story was, this college degree is brought to you by Amazon. And the subhead is, university budgets are squeezed and student debt loads rise. An era of close-knit relationships between companies and universities is getting underway. So let's start with the academic portion of this and then maybe go a little broader. You know, what are the pros and cons of having tech companies, or I mean, really corporations, but in this case, tech companies, you know, sort of tightly embedded with what students are learning, providing the resources, maybe the platform, the tools. Obviously, maybe it gives students resources they wouldn't otherwise have, but are they then beholden to the company in some way? So students at Cal Poly's university uh, walk through the door proclaiming the department is powered by AWS. Here, students participate in the AWS Cloud Innovation Center. First of all, every university that has poly needs to kind of rebrand. You can't be anything poly yeah. anymore. I'm sorry. Yeah. yeah. Also, if I'm paying $100,000 a year, the school is powered by me. Yeah. I don't I don't <laughs> I, I don't want to see any brands. Like uh, I am Yeah. Yeah, yeah, you have enough of yeah. you have enough money. This can't get yeah. you sponsorship. What's going on? But yeah, I mean, you know, this is a strategy that I'm familiar with from my time working at a tech company when I was at DJI. Uh, you know, they talked a lot about building platforms that students would learn on, and how that would then in the future lead to these people choosing DJI as their robotics platform of choice, coming to work for them. And so they gave a lot of stuff away to schools, and they built you know STEM toys and, and STEM platforms specifically. To, to try to, you know, get mindshare early on at, at engineering schools and stuff like that. So, you know, it's this push All we're and pull. doing here is saying the, the quiet part loud, right? Like educational discounts have always been a part of the software industry. They they love to get in there and they, they want people on their tools. I, I think like corporate funding of, of research has always been a thing. I think, you know, it, it just always gets dystopian when it's like Harvard brought to you by Microsoft. It, it always, you know, but then <laughs> yeah. but is, is that really different than like the Bill Gates Center for Aquatics? And that's a great point. I right. mean, it's, it's that money's always been there. I think what's, what's happening is just, there's more of it. And well, sorry, you have a, you have a comp sci degree, right? No. Oh, you didn't go. What, what was your degree? I studied computer science, but I didn't. But graduate. you, but you We're did study, so like you, you have a yeah. little big O notation in your in your soul. Like I don't. I, yeah. I learned all that stuff as I went along, often just completely in the wrong way. Like, hey, have you read these books by Donald Newth? And then I'm like, well, I'm an idiot. You know, it's just like there's. It turns out that you know a lot of it is pretty learnable. Nonetheless, there's a great divide in the industry between do you need computer science or should you learn practical programming skills? Because there's actually a large delta 
between the two, right? Yeah, that's what I was wondering, too. If it's Amazon, like, what is it? Like, MATLAB brought to you by Amazon? Like, they're not teaching AWS <laughs> in most curriculums. Well, and that's, then, then there becomes the argument, which is like, well, if college is to prepare you for a career in industry, you should be learning AWS. Or, you know, 10 years ago, it was Java or blah, blah, blah. There was a huge conflict when uh, MIT changed its intro to CS class, which, of course, in MIT world is like full blast brain melting from scheme to python because they right. were trying to react to the fact that that students are going to spend a lot of time managing and working with lots of libraries as opposed to building compilers from first principles and you know that was a that was heartbreak for the MIT scheme community but that, you know, in that example you're saying they're moving towards something that's more sort of universally accepted. I give you an example here from the story and it actually has some history. So they're working on this this big campus donated by the heiress to the Dodge automaking mm -hmm. fortune. Okay. So that was what sold the kid on going to the school. He's in uh, systems engineering, but the German industrial giant Siemens provided software instruction, curriculum, technical support, and gadgetry. And so this student decided he should be learning or is learning technomatics, which is the <laughs> <laughs> software language that you need to work on Siemens equipment, you know? So like it's very specific in that oh, case. Oh, yeah. No, and absolutely, like, one of the best Kraftwerk albums that has ever come Tech out. Technomatic. <laughs> <Tech> <laughs> oh, it's so good. Yeah, when they, when they yeah. just, yeah. after that 45 minutes of that same blooping drone, when you hear that voice go, technomatic, yeah. you're like, this is, ah, oh, I love Kraftwerk. Yeah, I think this is, I, <laughs> Sorry, just, just, just thinking about the song Pocket Calculator, very emotional, important song for me. Go ahead, go ahead. I, I think, the, well, the whole conversation brings up this, there's a, question on Stack Exchange, on the computer science educators uh, Stack Exchange, of why is computer science hard? And it's talking about how how high the dropout rates are in, from computer science students. I think that one of the reasons why, so when, you know, like in your first month in the computer science major, you go in a big auditorium, there's all these stories, and someone stands in the front of the room and they say, look to your left, and now look to your right. In four years, only one of you will be here. And then everyone's like, oh, oh my God. God. Like the Marines. Yeah. Oh, no, and like in four years, one of you will be replaced by a low code solution and the other one will be out. I mean, I just, like, you know, like you don't even have to. Why is it? Why? Because it's math. Like it's hard and it's abstract and kind of like, and it's, it's not cool. Like you're not learning how to make games or do the things that you like with computers. But does math have this, like math, if I was a math major, do math majors have as high dropout rates? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, they do. <laughs> okay. and, you know, and it's all to the benefit of the liberal arts. So as an English yeah. major. A lot of philosophy yeah. degrees. Oh, yeah. yeah. No, you'd, yeah. you'd come in like that, you know, junior year in, in uh, undergrad and you would just see these new faces and you'd be like, yep, welcome. Yeah, we're going to make you feel at home. They're like, all you got to do is read books. I'm like, it's amazing. Yeah. I mean, I think one of the things that's in this first answer, Sarah, from Buffy, thank you, Buffy, is that a lot of people go into this nowadays, and I think we've talked about this before, because they think it's going to lead to a lucrative career, right? And so they're not going in necessarily because they're like, I love you know, programming and I did it as a teenager. They're saying like, you know, I see what's going on with big tech companies. This is my way in, which I think is a little different. Nobody's saying like, if I, if I get a mathematics degree, <laughs> you know, I'll become a Silicon Valley billionaire. So the mathematics is a little bit more self-select and people actually love math. So I think that that could be part of it is that there's a lot of people who start out who are just like, maybe this will be good for me. And they, they learn pretty quickly. It's not, you right? know, I have a friend who runs an, it's a not-for-profit and, and he uh, works with a lot of coders who are kind of coming from underrepresented backgrounds, getting them into 
the industry. And I was like, so, you know, I talk with them pretty regularly and I'm just like, hey, you know, what's everybody excited about? Is it JavaScript? Whatever. And I might have mentioned this on the show before. I can't remember. But I'm like, you know, what are the big languages? What are the big libraries and frameworks? He's like, oh, no, AWS certification. People who are trying to break into this industry, the signal that has mm. gotten out is that if you want to break into tech and make tech money, which, you know, I think mentally is like, above $70,000 a year. Like I want to make a decent salary and live in America. Your number one right. skill is to really understand all the tools and frameworks inside of AWS. That'll give you the most career mobility. They'll help you get certified, et cetera, et cetera. And so like, to me, the answer to the question, what's the cool new programming language was AWS certification, right? Like that, that kept hmm. me up a little at night because, <laughs> yeah. um, <laughs> That's a new world. And I mentioned this to other people right. who work around cloud services, and they're like, yeah, yeah, sounds about right. right. It's just yeah. that world is taking over. I talk to beginners a lot. And usually what I observe when we teach them things, they want to know why and what it does, right? Like they want to know mm. why am I learning about this concept and what is it good for? And I think the way we teach computer science, you don't get to there until year three, right? You're just like learning all this random stuff, and it's hard to get – you're not really – you're not seeing the real world application very quickly. And so that's hard to be patient through. Definitely. Yeah. A lot of people are going to back out because it's so theoretical. It's so abstract. And that is where the, you know, the void that's being filled by the boot camps, right? And like the startups that are doing computer education is like, if you want to become an AWS or a Salesforce administrator and start making 75K a year, like these are the tools. And Paul, I think to your point, which is really interesting is like, that's a good starting place because from inside of a company with a salary and some insurance, you can start to learn other things and get some you know, data science knowledge from your colleagues and all this other stuff because people are going to be asking you to do jobs and you're going to have to I mean, it's it very out. William Gibson cyberpunk, right? Because it's like, oh, I, I've aligned with my Zaibatsu <laughs> and, or my Zaibatsu, or I don't know. And then and you, you're like, I'm in my giant megacorp. And now I can continue yeah. to explore options that that feed and support the megacorp. But it's real. Amazon's always going to be glad if you can learn a little more computer science. Look, I, here's what's tricky: is that the the academic computer science, right? Like, like what? Why do people learn and do things to get more power and control over their life? You go to college because you exchange some money and some time because you think you're going to have more authority and control later, right? And comp sci has a like to Sarah's point, that's very real. It has a slow payoff. And in fact, the comp sci payoff, the true comp sci payoff, is that maybe you're going to get go get a PhD and teach more computer science. And that's never as lucrative as the other options. It's like the ultimate marshmallow test. It's like the marshmallow test, but three years long. <laughs> that's right. And, and it's just like, and not only that, the whole time you're chewing computers. Like, mm. I have met really, really smart comp sci people, and they are not necessarily, they're not economically motivated individuals. They are like, I really, sometimes they actually laugh like this. <laughs> like, I mean, they're really, like, I'm not kidding. Like, it's just, you know, they're, you know, they're just very. <laughs> I know the, I know a few of those as well. I love them. I love them. But their relationship with capitalism is that it gets in the way of them understanding interesting optimization problems. Yeah. And they get and even the idea that that's why they might be doing it is, is annoying to them. Yeah. What I've observed with new coders, when you're coming out of a boot camp, you need to spend your first, you know, five, 10 years figure learning those computer science concepts. And when you're coming out of university, you need to spend those first five, 10 years learning those practical concepts that you would have learned in a boot camp. 
You know, like how do I mm-hmm. how do I Ruby on Rails or how do I scaffold an app or you know? Okay, so let's be real. You kind of you don't need a comp sci degree unless you're doing fundamental work. What's fundamental work? I'm going to be fixing the database because I would like it to. I'm going to be you know thinking about how data is striped to disk because I would like to yeah. increase the the retrieval speed. Like those are comp sci related problems where analysis of algorithms and optimization is key. Building a website in Ruby on Rails requires you to almost learn rituals and object-oriented thinking. The whole point is you don't need that stuff with that. You know, that's actually why they made it. Yeah, I think, and two, one thing we're seeing in universities and in boot camps is specializations. That's that's something we really didn't see before. It was always, like, in the 80s, it was like IIS, wasn't it? Information systems. And then you had computer science. But there was, like, a big umbrella that everything's on. But now if you look at places like Carnegie Mellon, you have, like, 10 different degrees you can get and different things, like, you know, data science and different things. Oh, like let's that. go. Let's let's go. Carnegie Mellon, which first of all, what even school is it these days? Computer science. Like, is it the school of informatics? Carnegie Mellon School of Computer <laughs> Science. Let's look at their let's look at their undergraduate programs. So minor in computer science, major in yep. computer science. All fine. Very nice. OK, good. Now, hold on a minute. BS in artificial intelligence. Yeah. BS in computer science. BS in computational bio- biology. BS Amazing. In human communi- computer interaction. They've had that one for a long time at Carnegie Mellon. BS in statistics and machine learning. Additional wow. ma- and then and then robotics. So um, minor in neural yeah. comp- computation Ooh. and minor in language technology. So. I want to hire all of these people. I mean, that's Carnegie Mellon, right? Like we haven't even gotten to Stanford, and yeah. maybe we never will. It's no. hard to get in there, but they, it's <laughs> they hard to get Carnegie Mellon. They don't too. let a lot of people in. Yeah, no, I mean, this is, and that is, you know, sort of a big classic program. There's, there's a million other, like once you get into the more trade-oriented programs, you're talking about right. cybersecurity and and sort of all those things. And so, like, it's just a vast field these days. Even as an undergrad, you're specializing quite a bit. But now let's let's play for a minute. Let's let's think. Okay, what is Amazon College going to be look like? First of all, there's going to be Amazon College and Amazon College Prime. Okay, so yeah. that's, <laughs> that's the Ivy League right there. Is it going to stay a hundred dollars right. a year? No. Oh no, it'll be a hundred dollars a year, and then they'll just get you to take more classes. Like it'll. Yeah. Just, <laughs> Right. You're gonna, yeah, no, no, your course load is 300 times because you're just like, I got to get the value out of my Amazon College Prime. And like, yeah, Paul, I think you're right. You know, they were talking about how these schools are infiltrating or, you know, making big inroads into colleges. But the reality that I read about after it seemed it became clear that people wouldn't necessarily get to go back on campus this year was that big companies, the Amazons, the Googles, the Facebooks, the Microsofts, the world started offering a lot more high-level paid internships to people that would almost sort of directly transition into a career. So it's like exactly like you're saying. You could go to college or you could get paid to work for Google over the summer and then maybe come work. Well, that's the whole like, do I go, you know, do I go straight into the MBA or do I go to college first, right? (laughs) Right. And look, we're in a funny world where purely corporate-funded undergraduate education feels like the slipperiest of slopes. It feels Mm -hmm. a little smarmy. Well, and just like, I'm good on Amazon teaching me computer science. It's going to be around cloud services, but God knows they know it. They've done the fundamental work. What bothers me is the Amazon economics course. 
Econ 101. <laughs> you know, Amazon literature is going to be great, except it's all self-published Kindle Unlimited ebooks. Yeah. And you're just <laughs> From like, like someone wait, you've never heard of. Are we reading Shakespeare? No, we're watching Shakespeare in Love. You know, it's yeah. just sort of. <laughs> so. One thing I would, I would accept mm. if like Amazon. Okay, let me talk this through before I decide I would accept it. I think if Amazon wasn't sponsoring the building, but like was sponsoring my education and was giving me a job afterwards, would I think that was okay? I think that's Sarah okay. Sarah Chips. Well, you of course, you're Sarah Chips. You're a Bezos scholar. Bezos right? scholar, like this, yeah. Yeah, or you got that you wrote the the Bezos thesis. Look, it's all in there. Again, it's it's the quiet part loud, which is just like Siemens right. and you know, so on and so forth saying, like, no, nope, we're gonna bring you your whole education. The reality is that a corporation, even with the best intentions, is going to align educational goals with what they see as their needs, which they see as primary. Like, why wouldn't you build a career along what exactly we need? That doesn't create a resilient population. And there's more beyond just the technical stuff, right? Like you were saying, in, in this case, at the Cloud Innovation Center at Caltech, students are taught things like the company's leadership principles, customer obsession. These are taught in, you know, as principles of formal education in a college workshop. So that's more like the HR motto becomes part of your curriculum, which is Look, this is, is the libertarian seasteading fantasy, right? Which is like we're going to we're going to raise a family <laughs> of little VCs. You know, we're going to have I'm going to send my children to venture school and they're going to also have startups by the time they're right. 7. And you know, it's just we're back to remember when we talked to Matt Cutts and he was like there's a reason the fence is there. Right. There's a reason mm. there's a fence between higher education and corporations. And boy, is it, it's mm. a permeable fence. Money is a great fence jumper, but but there is an actual reason that education exists as it exists. Now, professors are often the worst advocates for this because they just have no idea how industry works. And so they yell about a lot of things. Many do. But our goal in life, you know, the goal of education is not to teach people to be good Amazon citizens and make Amazon more money. It's to think as broadly as possible about a problem domain and come up with all kinds of solutions. And will 99.5% of people probably go get jobs and, and live their lives? Sure. But that yeah. 0.5% is critical to the health of the society. You got to have them out there doing things, doing, and it's not just doing startups. They need to run the NGOs and they need to help the, you know, they need to make sure the food supply is well regulated and so on and so forth. And they need to think a little bit bigger. And if we, you learn to think, you do. You don't just get born, you know, on Twitter running a VC firm. You actually have to think. <laughs> yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, it's really, you know, I feel like this, I don't want to descend into, like talking about universities, but I feel like it really does make you question the neutrality of the university and how much does it take? Like how much does it take to change the curriculum into something that is in your benefit? Mm. Well, that's the thing. This is the force of money. I mean, the disciplines are so very carefully de defined. I mean, they're territories, right? People protect their ter territories. There's a fundamental difference between history and English, let's say. And, and like, you know, the, the English folks go to the, the Modern Language Association meeting and the history folks go to the history conference and the computer folks belong to the ACM. And those curricula are nationally discussed and, and sort of syllabi are shared and, yeah. and so on and so forth. And so there's a, a real set of boundaries, right? And so then there's interdisciplinary disciplinary studies, which, you know, when they tell you to do that, that just means they don't know what to do with you as a student. Like, just leave college at that point and, yeah. <laughs> and come back a couple years later when you can accept. When you know. 
the power is all in the disciplines. And it's just, you know, it's it's so tricky because it's a self-sustaining system. And there's also no academic job. So it's not like the old days where like, you're smart and talented, stick around. It's like, you're smart and talented, be an adjunct for 35 years while you watch your, your life right. erode. And there's a part of this that just definitely does feel like a weird capitalist end game. <laughs> We're just, we're all riding it. We're just riding that dragon. Yeah, well, imagine if, yeah. like, your doctor went to school, like, sponsored by Pfizer. I mean, they did, though. <laughs> did they? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, they did. After they got out there, they went on a lot of speaking cruises, speaking yeah. engagements and cruises. I'm down for that. That taught them about what, what type of medicine And, I mean, if you if you go sure. to a doctor's conference, it's like, I think someone once described that, like, you know, even the stairs were branded with Pfizer products. Like, oh, yeah. Oh, gosh. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we're going to, they're going to get that brand in there and they're going to start with college students and it's going to be like, you know, we're, we just need to put this one poster up. So this morning I saw a little bit of chatter and a few links to something that uh, I thought was interesting. It's called Tailwind CSS. And then I went to their site. It is beautiful, obviously. It's got lots of interaction and video. Makes it look like it'd be really fun to build my own website. What do you guys know about this? What it, who, who made this? Is it, is it cool? How come people, how come it's growing? Why do I'll people tell you like what it? I know is that this is going to be really exciting to Sarah Chips because she loves CSS. Oh my God. I hate CSS <laughs> so much. You can't even imagine. It's just the worst. Well, Sarah, I'll tell you. It says that the creator of Tailwind says, uh, I've written a few thousand words on why traditional semantic class names are the reason CSR is maintained. The truth is you're never going to believe me until you actually try it. If you can suppress the initial gag reflex long enough to give it a chance, I promise you. Oh, this looks similar to, so I'm just like (laughs) reading the page right now. This looks similar to like a design system. Yeah. Okay. An API for your design system. Got it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I like, I love design systems. I love that. That makes everything so Mm. much easier. I mean, you know, what this is doing, what I I like about this, I looked at this yesterday for a while. What what they're saying here is, can everyone chill out with all the JavaScript all the time? And can you, can we get the people back doing the HTML and the CSS without all the JavaScript? Yeah, I don't like CSS and yeah. JavaScript. I agree yeah, with that. Yeah, so stop all the JavaScript. Look, I mean, this all works great until you actually have to do something. And then, like, I'm sure, these, I mean, this is a lovely design system. This is a great place to start. You know, a lot of their examples are focused on e-commerce and, you know, cards and social sharing type content, things like that. The The real classic stuff of the web and how you can style that and you can make your cards change, you know, from simple to playful to elegant to brutalist to, you know, and and do all kinds of neat things like that. Real estate sites. This stuff is good for that because there are, when you think about like a Zillow, right? Like Zillow is probably 18,000 separate components. Oh my gosh. I think about that all the time whenever (laughs) I go to that website. Yeah. And so like, and then they're like, oh, you know what? We need to update. We need, then you need dark mode or stack was like this. Like it's now it's a year of work. Right. So something like this means that the number of people who can work on that project goes way, way up compared to, oh, we're going to solve it with one JavaScript solution. So I like that. I think these are enabling technologies. I like, I like a lot of your choices for building it all over again, uh, according to Tailwind are simple, playful, elegant, or brutalist. So you have your choices. We can we can pick. Well, you know, more and more, more and more things built in, more and more opinions built in. If you're building a thing that is going to function, not look like all the other things, but kind of function in a world with all the other things, it's really good. And maybe like, it okay, looks similar. Gonna, yeah, but most things should look similar. You shouldn't reinvent the wheel if you're right. like if you're building an e-commerce site. You can get to really good design without changing the very nature of e-commerce. And in fact, somebody tells you they're going to change the very nature of e-commerce. Yeah, that should make you run nervous. Run scream. 
One yeah. of my best friends in the world is an absolutely masterful banner ad designer. Uh, he gets more conversions than anybody. Literally, I can't even, I won't go into how, but really when you put him up against other, like he'll work on a giant political campaign, he will get more conversions than anybody. And That's they'll great. be like, wow, how, how'd you get more conversions? And it's like, literally imagine a one room filled with engineers and, and analysts looking at data and one dude in a house working alone with an infinite supply of red pixels to make buttons. The red mm. pixels are going to win. Okay, it's just it's the it's the wackiest thing. Everybody tries to data science this, and my friend just goes like, "Ah, oh, make the button red," and it, it's sort of, and and it's like a taller button, and then he gets more conversions than anybody else. Oh, this makes me feel so bad. I just paid for that CRO audit <laughs> to uh, optimize, and now I really oh no, just throwing that I, away. My friend is an absolute master of conversion, and what does he do? He does the same thing over and over again very well. And and actually, what what I've come to accept in my forties is that that's really valuable. The therapist who says the same five sentences over and over again, and the right. the policy that doesn't change, and the clear HR directives are way more valuable than we're going to change America with our whatever. So I look at this and I'm like, okay, that looks like a good choice. If everyone agreed to use it and stuck with it, you'd have a really nice website. Well, everybody, thanks for listening. I'm Ben Popper, uh, the Director of Content here at Stack Overflow. You can find me on Twitter or email us, podcast at Stack Overflow. And I'm Sarah Chips, Director of Community here at Stack Overflow. If you're looking for some holiday gifts this year, check out jewelbots.com. So I'm Paul Ford, friend of Stack Overflow. Check out my company, Postlight. Yeah, check out those jewel bots. All right, friends. All right, everybody. Thanks for listening. Let's hit uh, stop on our recordings. Three, two, one. Stop. <laughs>